Blog Talk Radio. Oh, baby. Woo, daddy. Back at it again. It's another edition of the NFL Draft Bible Radio Show here on this April the 20th, 2015, just 10 days away from Chi-Town, USA. We're coming full-fledged, full-force, nonstop, can't-stop, won't-stop. So make sure you follow us on Twitter at NFL Draft Bible for all our live on-location coverage during the 2015 NFL Draft, of course, NFLDraftBible.com for all your latest scouting reports, big board, mock drafts, and updates. And just a quick reminder, when you get a chance, football season just around the corner, check out MyFantasyLeague.com for all your web hosting solutions with your fantasy football leagues, dynasty leagues, keeper leagues, you name it, you got it over there at MyFantasyLeague.com. Today, we're going to answer the questions you want the burning questions you need to know going into the NFL draft. Offense edition today, we're going to break it down with the guru himself joining us right now on the MyFantasyLeague.com hotline is Joe Everett. How are we doing this morning, Joseph? Fabulous. Ten days away. Uh, I love it. It's a love talking draft. It always sounds so right, even though Chicago sounds a little off. But uh, we're going to make the magic happen anyway. Yeah, talk about magic. Uh, Philadelphia is looking for some magic at the quarterback position. So let's start off there with uh, the question everybody wants to know, Joe. After the big two up top, who is the third best quarterback in this year's NFL draft class? Now, this has been a topic we've touched upon on, on previous episodes and if you're just listening for the first time we have the nfl draft bible big board debate offense and defense where we kind of go a little bit more in depth position by position dig for some gems but 10 days away joe getting to the nitty-gritty who you pounding the table for in that war room in the second round when you're looking for that potential quarterback to develop who do you like here well, I mean, honestly, I have a difficult time making a case for any of these QBs outside of Winston and Mariota too high. You know, I mean, I think it's clearly a second-day uh, selection. I don't think any of these other quarterbacks get pushed up to the top round. Um, as far as the third guy, I think it's Garrett Grayson. I'm taking Colorado State's quarterback. Uh, there is some room for debate. you got your Brett Hundley's at UCLA, and uh, I know you've got another quarterback in mind on the big board, but – I look at Grayson's mobility. Uh, he shows up with that 4.72. I don't think people saw him at that kind of top-end speed. He's got the leadership qualities, all those intangibles you look for, toughness. He plays hurt. Um, he's just got all of it on the table. And I saw him at the Senior Bowl. This is a guy during the offseason appears to me, more so than the, any other QBs, is checking off all the boxes on the list is like, yes, I am athletic. Yes, I'm a heck of a kid. Uh, I've actually got the size. He's tremendously accurate. I think in the right offense, he's going to be a very effective passer. It's just got to be timing-based, a quick sort of West Coast approach. But Grayson is, is a player that I think 
has the least amount of holes in his game. Uh, after those top two are gone and the rest of those QBs remaining, it's got to be Grayson for me, uh, simply based on accuracy. I, I think that guy just really knows how to spin it and just so consistent. So I'll take Colorado State. So let's see if he's a, a product of Rashad Higgins, the fabulous sophomore from last year, or if right. it was more Grayson. Giving you another name you need to know. Love it, Joe. Hey, listen, I can't disagree with any of that. Uh, He just might be the third best quarterback in this year's draft. Sean Mannion is another guy from Oregon State just because of the pro-style type of offense. Uh, You look at a guy like Mike Riley, what he's been been able to do over the course of time. And uh, I got to be honest, another guy I kind of gave long, hard thought to and, and heavy consideration here, Joe, and you know, we we spoke about this before. The product of not seeing him too much is maybe Connor Holiday. We didn't see too much of him during the draft season, but I went back and, and watched some of his games from this past season, and I'm starting to like this kid more and more as we get closer to the draft. Uh, just out of curiosity, how high, what's the ceiling in terms of his draft value? How high can his draft stock go uh, for the draft? No no uh, really unable to throw at the combine and no college all-star game invite. Yeah, it's been a, a poor off season. Just like we said, you know, it's uh, haven't seen any of them at all due to injury and his injury was super late in the year. So uh, fortunately though, there is tape out there. And like you say, this guy is a tough kid as well. And you go through <laughs> that offense um, at Washington State, I mean, you know, that coach is pretty notorious for giving people a hard time and um, just mm-hmm. developing mentally tough players. So I think, yeah, he's definitely going to get drafted, but I, I think it just hurts him. The off season. it's definitely a third-day situation. I, I, I don't think we see his name come off the board till rounds five or six. But still, like you say, you're going to get a very competent passer back there. Yeah, and Mike Leach, if you're listening, yeah, that was a backhanded compliment, my man. Let's shift gears <laughs> over to running back, Joe, <laughs> where, uh, you know, we, we broke down the uh, top ten guys pretty in-depth last episode when we broke down the, the offensive depth chart. Today, I want to talk about a guy maybe that's not going to be taken on the first two days, maybe a day three guy. We've seen uh, the Texans hit pay dirt the last couple years with Aaron Foster, Alfred Blue, some of these late-round guys. Andre Williams went in round four last year. Uh, You know, the list goes on and on every year. There's always guys um, that go even undrafted. We talked about the kid uh, Isaiah Kroll coming out last season. And so this year, if you were a betting man, and, of course, we're going to, you know, use a little bit of our crystal ball to try to project who is going to land on day three because, you know, it's a fine line once you start getting into those middle portions of the draft. But who's a day three running back in your estimation that we're going to see here come off the board in the middle or late rounds and go on to make a big impact at the NFL level? That's so great you brought up Arian Foster, too, because I think the guy I'm bringing up compares very favorably. It's David Cobb. Now, I put this mm-hmm. caveat, though. I mean, maybe he gets pushed up, but I think the backs ahead of him are going to go uh, in those first two days. Abdullah's gone, you know, Coleman, your Duke Johnson, JHIs, uh, maybe even a camera started to paint. I think uh, my guy, David Johnson, will actually be gone, is my prediction. Mm-hmm. So I, I can't Looking even like put it, yeah, him yeah. in this list. 
So I think Cobb, with his injury, that's where he gets pushed down. Um, he's just so high on both our boards, and I, I just don't believe he's going to be taken there. It's fifth round. Um, I'd love him if I'm a zone-blocking front that utilizes uh, the zone schemes because of how well he spots that cutback lane. I would figure that the Texans, uh, the Broncos, the Atlanta Falcons now with Kyle Shanahan as the OC, uh, they would have him higher on their boards than other teams just because of his vision. His vision is the best part of his games, how well he processes the information. He presses the hole, times that cut back, and the afterburners are on. Uh, the kid broke Lawrence Maroney's single-season rushing record this last season, and he just his, his only problem he just doesn't he's not a plus athlete, does not have that top end speed, but his explosion is there, and I think that showed up at the combine. He had a 38 and a half inch vertical, so you know he can get that 200 plus moving side to side and in quick bursts, and and that's what the zone blocking scheme is all about. Taking advantage of that is just precision within space. And I think that's why he reminds me so much of Foster is just how precise his footwork is for a big guy. Uh, and, yeah, Cobb's a guy that gets me excited. And like we've talked before a little bit, Rick, there's just some team that's going to get an absolute steal there on the third day. Yeah, and, you know, when I think about some of the dynasty and keeper leagues that I play in fantasy football, I'm really – starting to lick my chops a little bit more and more as I break down the running backs because I know the wide receivers have been getting all the attention, but you know what? This running back class is starting to grow on me. I'm starting to believe that there might be a good uh, 10 or so running backs that are going to be an impact in terms of fantasy football relevance and in that running back by committee type of approach. And I'll, I'll go with a guy you know, I think Javarius, uh, you know, Buck Allen from USC is a guy getting a lot of play in the media lately. I think a lot of folks know about Jeremy Langford from Michigan State. I want to shine a spotlight kind of on uh, Terrence McGee from LSU. We talked about Alfred Blue coming out of that uh, Tigers backfield, always crowded Tigers backfield, it seems like. The prospects from the LSU just keep being churned out in terms of the running back position. And here's a guy we haven't really heard much since the Shrine game, went to the combine and, you know, didn't run the fastest 40. That's not really what he does. But uh, you talk about a straight line runner, another one of these guys who can excel in that kind of zone block run scheme has the vision and patience for that. Here's a guy that is going to be stashed as a backup somewhere and when that 1A back goes down, I think you got a guy that you can instantly plug and play as a fill-in spot starter, carry the ball 30 times. He's taken on a heavy workload at SEC level caliber of play. I think Terrence McGee is a guy I'm going to give for our listeners in terms of a name you need to know. Day three running back uh, that I would pound the table for. You're listening to Joe Everett. Rick Severatelli here on NFL Draft Bible Radio, breaking it down for you. Heavy, heavy hitting lineup of guests this week. We'll talk a little bit more about that later in the show, but some really big guests lined up. I mean, it's the nitty-gritty, folks. Ten days away, counting you down. Make sure you're logged into NFLDraftBible.com for all the latest news and information. This morning we posted a piece on Timothy Tebow and the domino effect for the Philadelphia Eagles. And, you know, they're holding the trading chip for their NFL draft weekend. Uh, what could possibly be the next move? Uh, also, 
the Maryland defensive tackle, Darius Kilgo. No combine, no problem. He's a man on the move. Got about six NFL team visits in his back pocket this past week. Uh, a guy really rising up draft boards. And, of course, all our latest player interviews, uh, Ross Sherman of Lafayette and uh, Neil Sterling of Monmouth University, a couple of uh, NFL draft gems for you. So if you like that type of coverage for the NFL draft, NFLDraftBible.com is definitely your home for that. If you're enjoying the podcast, please click subscribe. And we have uh, also behind-the-scenes videos over on the YouTube channel, uh, All Access Football. Check us out there as well. Uh, let's go over to wide receivers now, Joe, where, you know, uh, we've talked about it plenty. Deep, deep class. Uh, you hear other, uh, you know, draft analysts talk about how deep it is, 10, 15 strong. Uh, let's go, you know, dig a little bit deeper and talk about somebody that's no one talking about. There's quite a few guys there's quite a few possibilities when you talk about wide receivers flying under the radar, especially in this deep and talented class. So hit me with the one wide out. No one is really giving a lot of shine to right now, but they're going to be loving them come football Sundays. Well, it's uh, this guy's just outside of the top ten for me, and I just uh, looked at a name that's flying under the radar more than anything. I mean, I, I know – You've heard of this guy, folks out there, Stephon Diggs from Maryland. I just think totally overlooked. Injury played career, injured uh, at the end of his sophomore campaign and missed three games this last year even. But I think all these big names with the Amari Coopers, Kevin Whites, and Parkers of the world, uh, you know, even Rashard Perryman's getting a ton of hype. Um, I just don't understand why Diggs isn't getting more looks. I know he's also getting his team visits going, but considering his ability to play everywhere on the field, uh, totally valuable guy, also legitimate deep threat. He's not just going to be a slot player. I think uh, he's a guy that can play anywhere and brings added value on special teams as a kick returner. He breaks tackles and creates after the catch. This guy, I think in any other draft class, would probably be a stud uh, borderline first round, whereas in this overstocked, grossly talented uh, wide receiver class, he's kind of getting lost in the shuffle. I mean, even Mm -hmm. guys like Tyler Lockett are getting more pub. Devin Smith's getting more pub. Uh, even Sammy Coates. So it's, I, I don't know, it's, it just seems like a, it's a name. Sure, he is more talented and it's not unheard of, but I, I think uh, he needs to be brought to the table conversation as uh, a quality player that, you know, uh, a team that's paying attention uh, day two, I think, is going to get another steal just due to uh, overstock at a position. Yeah, and, you know, uh, he's probably thinking like, hey, man, you know, I came out early for the draft thinking I was going to be going day one, day two. <laughs> and now all of a sudden he's looking at potentially day three uh, with the jam-packed draft class. Of course, a bunch, a whole handful of uh, juniors and underclassmen and even, uh, you know, uh, DGB, technically a redshirt sophomore, so a little – bunched up crowd at the wide receiver position and you know two guys I'm just going to touch upon real quick in case you're new to the show that we kind of uh, touched the base on earlier um, Tony Lippett from Michigan State I love his versatility 
Um, I really think here's a guy that is just an athlete that played uh, wide out, cornerback, kick returner, kind of jack of all trades. Uh, versatile guy. I mean, here's a guy I think he can play a very key role at the next level. And uh, whew, there was another guy. There's so many that I wanted to get out there to the people, the people, the beautiful people. Who do we got for them, Joe? I mean, I had Ty somebody. Montgomery. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we talked about Ty Montgomery. We talked about a couple of these guys. I think it was Lockett. I think you touched base on him. And don't forget about our boy Chris Conley. You know, I remember last year, remember John Brown blazed that fast 40, kind of had that buzz, his buzz kind of died down, and then the draft rolled around. And I thought, I think some people were surprised that John Brown went in the second round last year. And I think uh, Chris Conley is a guy that, uh, you know, we kind of forgot about that huge combine and 45-inch vertical and 12-foot broad jump and all that good stuff. I mean, here's a guy... I find it hard to believe, you know, any team that sees him available in, in round three would have to just run to the podium immediately. Uh, so there's a little bit of a look at some of the wide receivers, day three wideouts that, you know, could come in, uh, play a role, kind of like I think you'll see with your boy Cody Latimer, uh, hearing good things about him this year up in Denver coming out of Indiana admitted he struggled with the play playbook coming out of college, trying to keep up with Peyton Manning. So a lot of times, Joe, situation that you're drafted into also determines the type of success that you'll have as well. Now, uh, a guy like Latimer, you know, we didn't see it from him his rookie year, but I'm expecting big things just due to the maturity and, you know, having a full season under his belt, working with the, the likes of a Peyton Manning and some of the departures there. But, I mean, those are the kind of wide receivers you kind of want to get in terms of uh, some developmental guys to work into your rotation in your system, learn the offense so that when you do get hit with these free agent departures, you got you got guys like that just waiting in the wings. Absolutely, and you know it's uh, Latimer coming out was more of that raw, athletic basketball build type of wide receiver that the Broncos took on potential, uh, and, and it's it's going to start to pay its dividends this year, just like you said. I mean, they they really need a big contribu- contribution from him, but. It is tough to just get in and jump into a Peyton Manning offense for any rookie, uh, much less a guy who is a little bit behind the learning curve. But there's still uh, mountains of potential there. Like I said, just uh, a super athlete plus on the vertical, uh, definitely fast for his size. So if he can just get his head screwed on straight, and uh, fantasy owners that uh, spent the draft pick last year, don't be frustrated to give up. It's, uh, you know, add water, wait in time. That flower will block. <laughs> yeah, I just happened to pick him up actually in a deal. And, uh, you know, we are – talking about fantasy football because if you listen during the show during the season we also have a fantasy football insider show that airs on sunday morning so again uh you know make sure you click subscribe you'll be notified of all the podcasts and that leads me to our next question joe because it's really hard to find productive uh tight ends that make an immediate impact now obviously uh people are hoping and expecting 
good things out of Max Williams and Clive Walford. Um, but tell me something I don't know. Is there any anybody else out there that should be on the fantasy football radar for, you know, fantasy football owners out there looking to maybe put an ace up their sleeve, a guy that could potentially be a pass-receiving type of weapon at the next level? Well, uh, fantasy owners definitely need one uh, after the last uh, tight end class. And uh, this one, it, it's you know very slim pickings, but my guy is Nick O'Leary. It has been and will be. Uh, I almost l- like him a little bit better than uh, Clive Wolford at points. It's just he's – the problem with O'Leary, he is not uh, an elite athlete by any stretch. Uh, just a little slow footed if anything, but just reminds me of a less athletic Chris Cooley, if you will. I think undersized, not elite in any one area outside of ball skills, really. He just makes plays. Um, he's just got that knack for finding holes in the secondary. He always bails his quarterback out. If anyone's seen any of the Florida State games, Jameis Winston, that was his go-to this last season without Kelvin Benjamin being on the field. So, uh, I think well, not only is he talented, but when the pressure was on, he delivered. Uh, very tough kid, played through pain as well. Uh, pro-style offense. He's going to be an effective on the H-back type at the next level. And just it's his ability to find open holes that the excellent hands he has. The guy I think is going to rack up a ton of receptions in the right offense. And once again, notice that comes with that caveat, just like you were talking about with Latimer at the Broncos, this is where he lands and how that team wants to use him. But I see a guy, like I said, very comparable to a Cooley, uh, undersized, but is going to get it done. And, you know, by game's end, holy cow, Nick O'Leary caught six receptions, or he caught seven receptions. This guy's going to be heavily involved in the passing game because he can contribute in blocking. He can contribute out of the backfield. So there's versatile ways you could use him, and that's what makes him valuable. And I think of any of those tight ends, after the top two, he's the one I could see, well, yeah, how about it? Nick O'Leary caught 50 balls balls as rookie year yeah i mean when you think about all the prospects in this year's draft coming out of tallahassee i mean there's so many seminoles and nick o'leary the guy i mean talk about flying under the radar you just don't hear too much about him uh and yeah definitely a guy who's polished as you said joe uh experienced in that pro style system could probably step in and be ready to make more of an immediate impact as a lot of these other guys. Now, a guy like Charles Clay didn't really make an immediate impact. He had a little transition and adjustments to make to his game. And you talk about being drafted into the right situation. Look at where McCoyle Pruitt goes from Southern Illinois. You know, is he a fullback? Is he an H-back? Is he a tight end? Uh, But if he, you know, plays that Charles Clay type of hybrid role at the next level, he's the kind of guy, hey, who knows, Maybe the Dolphins look to plug a guy like McCoyle Pruitt into that role, you know, in the fourth or fifth round, kind of just plug him right into that Charles Charles Clay type of situation. Uh, Wouldn't be too far-fetched when you think about it. And, uh, you know, that that Miami Dolphins backfield could certainly use some help or or some weapons. Another weapon for Tannehill over there would never uh, hurt when you got to try to keep up with Tom Brady and the Patriots. So I'll give you one player there. And, uh, you know, you're listening to Joe Everett, Rick Saratella, NFL Draft Bible Radio. Be sure to click subscribe. We're going to be hitting you, banging you upside the head all week long. Big names, heavy hitters. 
We're rolling out our own red carpet for the guests here on the NFL Draft Bible, and it starts right here with the guru, Joe Everett. Make sure you follow him on Twitter, at Joe W. Everett. Of course, I'm at Rick Saratella, and we are at NFL Draft Bible. Now, offensive linemen, Joe, uh, there's a lot of debate here. It's almost like you can throw out any tackle prospect and just about play a game of, you know, tackle or guard. And it really comes down to uh, what your team does and what kind of role that, you know, you'll be using this player in. So I don't really want to get too much into, you know, is he a tackle, is he a guard? What I'm still trying to figure out, and one of the guests we'll have on tomorrow, as a matter of fact, 9.40 a.m. Eastern time right here on the All Access Football Channel, we'll have Ross Tucker on to break down the offensive line prospects, and I will ask him, and I will ask Joe right now, who is the premier offensive lineman in the 2015 NFL draft? Well, see, the pressure's on. I have to precede the great Ross Tigers. I'll take it, though. Scherf is the right answer. I, I don't see any other answer other than Brandon Scherf as far as the guy I foresee 10-plus years from now, uh, oh, geez, it's another Pro Bowl or another great season turned in by the guy. His uh, athleticism is so fluid. He's got that natural power and pedigree of the coaching. You know, uh, they just crank him out at Iowa. And you know, like you said, who cares if he's playing a guard or, or is a tackle? Heck, I think he'd be a swing tackle in a pinch his initial year, but likely probably going to make his money inside. And that may be great for his chances at an extended career so I think Scherf's just got all the makings of a player that's going to have that multiple Pro Bowl uh, seasoned just sort of run uh, even though it's it sure it's a real deep tackle class I think he's the safer pick just more of a finished product uh, he's going to hit the ground running highest probability of being an impact player early and extended but I mean there's a lot of good tackles, like you said here, but none of them that I see, oh, geez, he's so dominant, or he will change the game. And I think we were just talking about it in Indianapolis. Uh, you know, somebody brought up, it's like, yeah, why couldn't he do exactly what Zach Martin did uh, from Notre Dame? Just, you know, mm -hmm. jump right into a team's starting lineup, and all of a sudden, oh, well, they really improved their line because. So, yeah, I think Scherf's got to be the right answer, uh, safest pick of all these guys. No, I agree a thousand percent. I think the only question, Joe, is, is can the guy hula hoop? Because that's where he'll be yeah. headed to a lot of trips to Honolulu. <laughs> and, uh, of course, we'll have Ross Tucker, who played in the league at the offensive line position, on to uh, break that down for us. So if you have a question for Ross, hit us up on Twitter, and maybe I'll ask it to him at NFL Draft Bible, and that's going to be Tuesday, uh, 9.40 a.m. Now, the fun part, Joe, every year there's always, you know, they got a good group of guys this year heading to Chicago that are going to be in that green room because uh, there's going to be maybe more than a handful of these guys that do not get taken in the first round, maybe not even in the second round. But it's always fun to see, well, am I being mean in this, the very sensitive society today, Joe? Am I being mean? But I enjoy... 
<laughs> the Brady Quinn and the Aaron Rodgers and the guy uh, that everybody thinks is going to be that surefire first-round pick. And, you know, don't tell me you didn't get a kick out of watching Johnny Manziel's face every time they flashed the camera on him last year. Like, oh, man, are you kidding me? I got to wait another pick. But, uh, <laughs> I mean – it's just fun to see, you know, who that guy is every year. And there's a potential uh, candidate that could do that slip and slide free for all uh, this year. I don't think it'll be a quarterback. We saw Geno Smith. It happened to him a couple of years ago. I don't think it'll be a quarterback this year, but maybe it is. Who's the guy on offense that, you know, you look around, everybody kind of has him in that first round mock draft mix, but you're you you see that player name and you're just kind of scratching your head like you know what man I, i'm just not seeing it oh man those brady quinn tears were tears of joy <laughs> I, that's not I'm gonna say, but, uh, it's tough i mean uh, there's some defensive players that could this could happen to obviously you know tempted to say Randy gregory but offensive wise i mean I think it's DGB. If he's going to the green room, I don't think he has a business being in there. I, I know there's no question the talent is there. Uh, were it not for these off-field mistakes, we'd be talking, I believe, about a top 20 guy. But uh, this is second day, clearly, to me. It's just been an impossible headache to manage off the field with his laundry list of issues from Missouri all the way to Oklahoma. Uh, he hasn't played football since 2013 season, really, uh, since he, you know, didn't even uh, set foot on Oklahoma's field. So I just, yeah, anyone that thinks he's a first-round selection, it's it's more of a process. I, I can't uh, see how anything that he's done on the field would override that uh, on a team's priority list. So, I mean, sure, rare combination of size and speed, I'll give him that. But, yeah, I think it's uh, the mistakes are really just, too too much to overcome. Yeah, that was that was kind of my guy too. I mean, you know, Gurley was there for me for a little while, but now the medical recheck seems like he's clear yeah. and solid first round stock. Uh, you know, Max Williams is a guy. I, I don't really think too many people out there think that he's a first round pick anymore. Kind of think he's a second round guy. Uh, T.J. Clemmings, I mean. There's a guy, I mean, if, if if people think he's a first-round pick, I would think that he slides out. Um, you talk about, you know, the fact that he didn't start playing football till his junior year of high school here in Jersey. Uh, went over as a defensive tackle at the University of Pittsburgh, failed miserably his first season or two, transitioned over to tackle, pretty much saved his career by doing that. And uh, a guy that I could see as a developmental project type of uh, deal, but I think at the end of the day, DGB Doriel Green Beckham. That's a that's a, a lot of uh, you know. You talk about checking off all the boxes, Joe. I mean, that's a lot of uh, check marks on on the. That's a lot of red flags uh, checked off on on the resume. So you know, I'm going to stick with him and maybe a team like the Saints where. They have two first-round picks. They can maybe roll the dice a little bit with one of them, need a big play wide out, have a veteran quarterback that could kind of maybe reel them in a little bit. But I find it hard to believe uh, DGB winds up in that first-round mix with all these talented wideouts that we just discussed. 
Uh, last one before we wind it up here on the NFL Draft Bible Radio. If you're just tuning in now, our show will be available for download immediately following the conclusion of this episode as well as NFLDraftBible.com. So make sure you check it out. Now, um, the one player on offense that on the reverse side now, Joe, the one guy that you think is going to be a first-round pick but you really don't see him out there in the first-round mix, and you're looking around and you're just like, what the heck, man? Am I on an island with my thought process here? How come I have so-and-so as a first-round grade and nobody else does? Who's that guy? You asked me this two weeks ago. I said Brashard Perryman and and thought I was a little smart, but uh, I think the cat's (laughs) out of the bag. Yeah, everybody's on top of that. Um, but I like the way you pose that question. It's like, am, am I? What am I doing with my evaluation process that no one else is high on this guy? Because uh, it's a wide receiver that I think is going to sneak into the first round potentially. It's an off the wall. You know, maybe I'm crazy, but it's also a player that I think I'm higher on than most anybody I've seen from looking at rankings or looking at mocks. And that's Nelson Aguilar, uh, USC Trojans. Mm. I know yeah. a lot of people talk about Perriman and, oh, Devin Smith's going to sneak into the first round. I think Aguilar is the guy I'd rather have over both of them. Uh, great top-end speed. Adequate size, not good size, but terrific hands. He said, once again, this this job is about reining that pigskin in and coming down with it contested, and Aguilar could do that. His best aspect still, I think, is an extremely high football IQ. Uh, he, he comes from that same scheme. Uh, really, Lane Kiffin deserves some credit for uh, recruiting some of the best wide receivers. If you look at uh, these prospects out of high school he's getting and what he's turned them into, Robert Woods, <laughs> and where they are now, Marquis Lee. Uh, anyways, this uh, Aguilar ability to play all three positions on the offense, also a nifty kick returner, not a great kick returner, but could do that first year as well. So uh, he, he's my pick of the sneaky wide receiver that no one's talking about. Maybe back half, uh, Patriots pick there. I, you know, who knows? I, but it's definitely 30, 31, 32. That'd be that name. Like, well, who was talking about Nelson Aguilar? The draft Bible, baby. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, you mentioned the, the USC prospects the last few years at the wideout position, and he might be the best of the bunch. Talk about a quiet – 100-yard, or I'm sorry, 100-catch uh, season, and nobody's talking about this guy. It's it's just, yeah. you, you, you got a good one there, Joe. Uh, mind-boggling, just like when I think of Duke guard Lakin Tomlinson as potentially the best, most dominant offensive lineman in this draft, yet I don't see him whiffing around uh, the first round anywhere near the first round mix and I can't understand why uh you know we had a couple guards come out in the past few drafts that everybody was just really high on and I think this kid is in the same level as those guys so for me uh I scratch my head when I don't see and you know maybe because it's the guard position is kind of uh not the sexiest position when you know people do their mock drafts or have you but I don't know. To me, Lakin Tomlinson is a day one starter and wouldn't be surprised if he plays uh, a decade in the league. Yeah, that'll be that Logan Mankins pick that people are like, who? And yeah, yeah. he'll play. And, and, plus and, and that, could be, that could be right there at the bottom of round one, actually, with the Patriots. Yeah. If any team 
would do something like that, it just might be them. So there we have it. Uh, The fastest 30 minutes in podcast history always is with Joe Everett. And uh, it's been a pleasure here, Joe. We're, we're pretty much through the offense tomorrow. We're going to break down the defense, Uh, same bat time, different bat location. Uh, We're bumping our own show off the all access football channel (laughs) to make room for the Ross Tucker podcast here on the all access football show. So we'll be on another all access football channel here on blog talk radio. And we will be tweeting that out and posting it on Facebook and and the NFLDraftBible.com. And, Joe, I will get in touch with you in terms of what channel we will be on because we're still uh, sorting through that. So tomorrow we'll be back with the defense. We'll break it down the same way we just did the offense, kind of dig in a little bit deeper, get away from the mainstream media uh, fluff that you've been getting bopped upside your head with. Uh, So that's how we do it here at the NFL Draft Bible. Again, we appreciate everybody's support. If you like what you heard, like what you hear, please click subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at NFL Draft Bible. Uh, Joe's at Joe W. Everett. I'm at Rick Saratella. You know, we are uh, NFL Draft Bible. So there you have it, Joe. That's the wrap. Uh, You know, bless the people uh, with one last tidbit before we wrap it up. Well, definitely stay tuned for tomorrow's show because I'm going to unveil some IDP gems as uh, that's basically my day job during the NFL season is writing about all the defensive players. So I've got my eyes out on a few linebackers and DEs and, of course, the rises and sliders to come. So you know where to keep it dialed in, folks. Uh, I love me some IDP gems. And you know what? Speaking of which... I was just reading up a very in-depth article. I'm going to share it with you tomorrow about a new theory that has emerged with IDP players in the fantasy football dynasty league. I'm going to ask the expert Joe Everett tomorrow on the NFL Draft Bible Radio podcast. Till the next time, everybody.